This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, May 20th, 2023. It's been 3,370 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014 and 451 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Today we'll be jumping right into regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported fighting among squad-sized units in the area of Masyutivka, with Ukrainian forces reportedly on the offensive. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian Surveillance, Reconnaissance, and Sabotage, or DRG, units were operating in the area of Sinkivka. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD also reported that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Orlyanske in Timkovka. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the direction of Makivka and were unsuccessful. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Raikhorotka. Wargonzo reported that Russian forces made incremental gains in the Serebriansky woods, but since February 2023, Russian and Ukrainian forces have been trading the same defensive positions during positional battles. In the Lysychansk operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that a Russian attack east of Milohorivka, the one in Luhansk, was unsuccessful while Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces went on the offensive and successfully advanced to the southeast. In northeast Donetsk, the situation in the Siversk and Solidar operational areas is stable. The Russian MOD reported they completed 68 fire missions through the Solidar, Bakhmut, Kostyantanivka, and Klishivka operational areas, and five close air support sorties were conducted by Russian Army Aviation and the Russian Air Force, or VKS. And the billion hryvnia question right now, did Russian forces take Bakhmut? Well, sort of. 
So earlier versions of the situation report alluded to Ukrainian forces holding maybe one square kilometer of territory around the former MiG-17 statue and a few houses in the northern part of the city east of Khomove. But then PMC Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin declared Bakhmut fully under Russian control at noon Moscow time. A few thoughts. We geolocated the video to the central part of Bakhmut, east of the train tracks and at the western edge of Verkhny Park. We had previously mapped this area as a so-called green zone for Russian forces. That's an area far enough behind the lines of main fighting that a Russian soldier could reasonably walk around without worrying that 15 seconds later a mortar or a sniper's bullet will tear off their head. That isn't to say that the area isn't subject to mortar or artillery strikes, or that Ukrainian DRG and SOF doesn't operate in the area. The second thing that stands out in the video is the sound of combat is clearly heard throughout the entire statement. Here, let me play the clip. We Clearly the city is not under the full military control of PMC Wagner. It's worth noting that a similar claim was made in Solidar, with full military control achieved about 14 days later. Military control is defined as troops can maneuver within the city, but small arms combat is over. The city could still be subject to artillery, mortar, and airstrikes, and it is unsafe for any civilians to be in the area. But there are secured defensive lines that prevent easy advances into the captured area. So Bakhmut is not under Russian control. But again, the argument is pedantic. Ukrainian officials vehemently deny that the area around the MiG-17 statue has been captured, but there is significant fog of war. Prigozhin has announced now that victory has been achieved, PMC Wagner will continue cleansing operations and set up defensive positions for a transfer to Russian forces on May 25th, and they're leaving for, quote, other hotspots around the world. He appears to be back to they are leaving the theater of war in Ukraine, but the Russian MOD may have other ideas. After Prigozhin claimed on May 9th that the Russian Ministry of Defense would charge him and his mercenaries with treason if they arbitrarily withdrew from Bakhmut, we reassessed that PMC Wagner would do everything it could to declare mission accomplished in Bakhmut to provide an off-ramp out of Ukraine. Further, there is strong intelligence that the Rapid Support Force in Sudan, which opposes the Sudanese military, has signed a large contract with PMC Wagner. As for how Wagner is paid, they have extensive gold mine interests in Sudan, and gold is much easier to launder into currency than, well, other currency. It is unclear what type of defenses PMC Wagner can build under fire in less than five days, and much like Marinka, 
with the western half of Bakhmut looking like a nuclear bomb hit it, there aren't a lot of defensible areas for Russian occupiers. Further, the reserves that have been brought into the area of Bakhmut have low combat potential and poor training. As for a recent Ukrainian claim that Russian troops are not ill-trained or under-equipped, we disagree with that statement. We've provided dozens of videos in multiple operational areas of Russian troops that lack anti-tank weapons, are only capable of limited light infantry tactics, and have no armor or artillery support. Certain Russian units are well-equipped, but we've also documented crowdsource funding for consumer-grade night vision optics for Russian VDV units. A Ukrainian Territorial Guard unit is going to be under-trained and under-equipped facing a Russian Naval Infantry unit, just as a Russian Mobik unit is going to be under-trained and under-equipped facing the Ukrainian 93rd Motor Infantry Brigade or the 3rd Separate Assault Brigade fighting south of Ivanivsky. Much like the July 3, 2022 capture of Lysychansk, we don't see Russian forces having the combat potential to convert this operational success into a tactical or strategic victory. As for the continued attack on the flanks of Bakhmut by Ukrainian forces, we don't see that stopping. We do have additional intelligence in the Klishyivka operational area that we still cannot share publicly, but which is informing our position that further activity will continue. If the Ukrainian goal since mid-February was to destroy PMC Wagner, force Russian reserve units away from other operational areas into the Solidar and Bakhmut operational area, and prevent Russian advances from its winter offensive? Mission accomplished. We are tracking numerous troop maneuvers to pull reserve forces from what could be a critical area to other regions, only to send those troops back. This is consuming fuel and logistics, and also enabling insurgents in Mariupol to provide excellent intelligence on these movements. We had previously assessed in late September that Russian forces would do everything possible to capture Bakhmut short of Seaburn, that's chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear. That assessment was correct. We had previously assessed in November and again in February that Russian forces lacked the forces required to encircle the Bakhmut operational area, and in February added that Russian forces had moved from an encirclement strategy to a push-Ukrainian-forces-out strategy, which would result in heavy Russian casualties due to the so-called defender bonus. That assessment was accurate. We had also previously assessed that if Ukrainian forces were pushed out of the larger buildings in northern and west-central Bakhmut, Russian troops would advance quickly through the residential areas due to a lack of defensible positions. That was also accurate. Russian attempts to advance toward Ivanivska were unsuccessful, in the Klishyivka operational area, Wargonzo reported that a Russian attempt to push Ukrainian forces away from Klishyivka was also unsuccessful. Russian forces attempted to advance west of the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal toward Bilohora and were unsuccessful there as well. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, 
Ukrainian source Deep State reported that Russian forces had marginal success north of Krasnohorivka, with fighting moving back to the railroad tracks. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attempt to advance on Avdiivka was unsuccessful. The Russian VKS continues to target non-military infrastructure that provides high propaganda value, dropping Fab 500 SE UPMK glide bombs on the Avdiivka coke plant tar distillation plant, creating a fire that produced clouds of black smoke that could be seen from over 10 kilometers away. Quick sidebar, just to be clear, we are talking about coal coke, not Coca-Cola coke or cocaine coke. Coal tar is formed during the production of high-quality industrial coke, with the distillation plant breaking it down into four sets of products while removing any water from the hydrocarbons. The bombing set the stored distillate products on fire. The GSAFU reported that Russian troops once again tried to advance through the no-man's land between Sieverne and Vodiana and were unsuccessful. The GSAFU and Deep State reported that Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Pervomaisky from the south, with Russian troops suffering heavy losses, the loss of armored vehicles, and the capture of Russian soldiers. In the Marinka operational area, fighting for control of Marinka continued with no change in the situation. In occupied Donetsk, a Ukrainian drone recorded the location of a company of Russian T-90 tanks east of Marinka. It's reported the vehicles were destroyed in an overnight HIMARS attack, and we are working on confirmation. In the Vukhladar operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka from the east and failed to gain new territory. Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces launched offensive operations near Solodke and were attempting to advance to the H-20 highway, a key Russian ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line. A Russian base adjacent to the Mariupol airport was hit by up to four Storm Shadow cruise missiles. There was no other information at the time of recording. In Zaporizhia, Russian forces conducted 92 fire missions, three UAV attacks, and no airstrikes along the Zaporizhia line of conflict. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Black Sea Fleet has six vessels on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarines and one frigate capable of launching up to 16 caliber cruise missiles. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Kyiv, 18 Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down last night during the 11th air raid in 19 days. Debris landed on the roof of one building in the Dnipro district, causing a fire. The only other reported damage was to parked cars and some broken windows in several districts of the city. The Eastern District Air Defenses shot down three more drones. Russian forces targeted 17 villages along the border region of Sumy, firing 121 artillery rounds, mortars, and drone-delivered IEDs. The Khotin Khomada was hit by three mortars, destroying a private home. In Sadki, which is part of the Unikivka Khomada, a drone-delivered IED killed three employees of Sumy Oblanerho, the Sumy Oblast Power Company. The Krasnopilia area was hit by 14 mortars, 20 grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and six artillery rounds. Velika Pisarivka was also hit by 20 grad rockets fired by MLRS. 
Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. On the evening of May 17th, Russian forces fired 22 KH-101 and KH-555 air-to-surface cruise missiles, six sea-launched caliber cruise missiles, two Iskander-K ground-to-ground cruise missiles, and two Shahed-136 kamikaze drones, with air defenses intercepting 31 of the 32 precision munitions. On the evening of May 18th, Russian forces fired 22 Shahed-136 kamikaze drones and six sea-launched caliber cruise missiles, with Ukrainian air defenses intercepting three cruise missiles and 19 UAVs. Seventeen more people were arrested in the Kyiv area for documenting the Russian missile attack on May 15th, documenting the locations of Ukrainian air defense assets, and sharing the data on social media. United States officials reported that a generator and its supporting electronics for the Patriot Air Defense were damaged during the May 15th missile attack, but it did not impact operations, and a missile strike, near strike, or debris from a Russian Kinjal cruise missile or other munitions did not cause the damage. Deputy Press Secretary of the United States Department of Defense Sabrina Singh reported that the component was repaired in place and never left service. After learning that the Patriot missile system is a complex and not a single battery, the Russian MOD now claims that a single Kinjal cruise missile destroyed five launchers of a Patriot complex. Ukrainian Air Force spokesperson Yuri Ignat said the system was, quote, fine and still in service before Thursday night's attack, which proved with a 97% success rate by Ukrainian air defense that the Patriot system is still operational. Can we, can we not debate this anymore? According to a report in the United Kingdom newspaper The Times, up to 5,000 Ukrainian soldiers were secretly trained in Sweden to form a new tank brigade equipped with the STRV-122 main battle tank, which is a Swedish version of the German Leopard 2A5 MBT, CV-90 infantry fighting vehicles, and the Archer 155mm self-propelled howitzer, quote, making it one of the most powerful units of the armed forces of Ukraine, end quote. We had previously reported how the Pentagon accounted for military aid to Ukraine by recording the full value of the weapons provided and not considering the depreciation. Well, someone at the Pentagon might benefit from listening to our podcast because an internal audit confirmed our reporting was accurate and the Pentagon accounting was wrong. See, the value of the equipment and munitions are supposed to account for depreciation when coming from existing stock. And another $3 billion has been clawed back after adjusting for the accounting error, expanding the remaining United States presidential drawdown budget through September 2023 to an estimated $9 to $11 billion. Norway and the United Kingdom have partnered to provide Ukraine with eight M270 Guided Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or GMLRS. The M270 fires the same rockets as the M142 HIMARS, but can fire 12 instead of 6. Norway will also provide three Arthur counter-battery radars. Ruslan Stefanchuk, the chairman of the Verkhovna Rada, was in Norway on state business, and reported that production of NASM's air defense systems was being expanded, saying, quote, Today I visited a company that produces, among other things, NASM's air defense systems. We have them in Ukraine, and we need more. And there will be more very soon. End quote. 
Photos confirmed that Turkey had transferred 155mm M483A1 artillery shells with cluster munitions, which Ukraine is disassembling to repurpose the bomblets to make IEDs that will be drone-delivered. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.